This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Exact Nature's all-natural CBD-based products are specially formulated to help you with addictive cravings, depression, anxiety, or even improving sleep. Founded by a father and son in recovery, they truly understand the needs of the sober community. Learn more at exactnature.com and as a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 to receive 20% off. Exactnature.com. Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic six years from my last drink. My sobriety is such a huge part of who I am. I decided that I needed to help others find their voice and share their journey too. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head on over to thesobrietydiaries.com where you can join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Recovery is possible. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending part of your day with me here on The Sobriety Diaries. We share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them, and we hope to impact those in recovery or those still struggling, family members of those who struggle with addiction. And I am grateful to say that we have built a community that helps to share our message, and you are a part of that. So again, thank you for spending time with me today. We are chatting with Tim Lodgen today. Tim will be celebrating 10 months of sobriety by the time this episode airs. And we had a very powerful, very emotional conversation about his struggle with addiction and relapse and getting to a point in life where essentially he wanted to end it all. And he came out on the other side and his wife and kids stuck by him, you can just hear the gratitude in his voice and in his story. Tim has amassed an Instagram following of over 50,000 followers in just a few months. So there are definitely folks out there who want to hear his story and relate to what he is saying. So I'm super excited to share our conversation today. Let's open the diary on Tim Lodgen. Tim Lodgen, thanks so much for joining me on the Sobriety Diaries today. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. 
We are kicking off season two, and you and I started chatting on Instagram, and we kind of decided that we should spend some time together, and I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing more of your story. So thanks for being here. Thanks for being open. I appreciate that, and that's what we have to do. We have to share our story to help others still suffering. That's right. I like to say I'm recovering out loud. You know, there are some old timers who tend to uh, frown upon <laughs> this sort of new age of you know, sharing our recovery online or sharing our recovery with this enormous online recovery community. But I think we just kind of have to stay focused and keep going. I think it's the perfect platform to be able to share our recovery and to recover out loud. So I think the disservice would be not utilizing it. You know, maybe perhaps it's time for an upgrade. Just saying. That is so ironic that you said that. Two weeks ago at my morning meeting, um, an old timer. She'd been uh, sober 42 years. Um, it, it was a round robin. So we all got to speak. And I said, yes, I'm going to be on a couple podcasts coming up speaking about sobriety. And it got to her. And she looks at me and she says, that's a shame. That's a shame. Everything that we talk about should stay in these rooms. And I looked back at her and I said, what a shame it would be for it to only stay in these rooms. Exactly. Do you know how many people we could help still suffering from this disease of addiction that may not hear our stories if we just keep it within the 20 or 30 of us that are in this group? Right. I said, I feel as if I should open up and tell my story to as many people as possible, because there are people out there who think they're alone. They think nobody knows their pain. Nobody could possibly know what they're going through. And they don't have the answers. And if we have them and we can share them with people, why not? Exactly right. I will do everything in my power to protect other people's anonymity. I will not tell your story. I will not reference, you know, your struggle. I will tell my own story in hopes of helping Correct. others. So I feel as though I, I have the, the right and the ability to, uh, again, recover out loud and share my own story. And that's what I plan to do. So I'm glad that uh, you share those feelings and that we're here today. I want to start with, uh, when was your last drink or drug, and why was it that day in particular? March 5th, 2021 was the last time I picked up anything, any drug, any alcohol. Um, I've been completely sober um, since that time. Two months away from my one year, I'm not going to think about that. I'm thinking going one day yes, at a time, but I'm going to get, I'm going right. to get it. I'm right. going to get it. I, there's no turning <laughs> back now. Um what brought me to that point was, you know, I, I drank and I did some drugs. I didn't do hard stuff, but I definitely dabbled and had some fun with my friends. Um, but my main thing was alcohol. The first time I drank was in ninth grade and I got so sick. I mean, I, I was whole, sick the whole next day and I didn't pick up alcohol again until my senior year of high school. Wow. And my, my senior year is when I actually started drinking and doing drugs before that. I never touched anything except for that one time in ninth grade. I was an athlete. I was a golden glove boxer. I was an amateur skateboarder. Um, I played football, baseball. I mean, I, I was just, I was just consumed with athletics. Once I started drinking and drugging, all of that went out the window. I stopped all extracurricular activity and I focused on drinking and hanging out with my friends that liked the party. Well, after high school, I joined the United States Marine Corps. And during my service in the Marine Corps, every time we had downtime, we went to the bar. That's just what we did. And it was, 
it started out Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then that started to lead into the weekdays. And pretty much it was, it, it ended up being almost every single day that we would drink. Now we would still do what we had to do, but it was almost accepted. Um, a lot of our sergeants and, and gunnery sergeants stuff all drank and, but they would still go running. They would still do all their calisthenics and it was kind of like a badge of honor, you know, you can drink, but you can still, you can still handle your, handle your alcohol and do what you yeah. have to do. I think that um, speaks to there, there isn't a certain, you know, textbook version of an alcoholic. Like you, you picked it up and then you put it down for a couple of years. You had a career in the military. We're able to do these things because for me, I was able or, or willing to protect my drinking at any cost. So, right. you know, if I had to get up at 6 a.m. and run 10 miles, I would probably protect my drinking and figure out a way to still do that. So I think that speaks to that perfectly. Oh, because he's just cunning and baffling. It we, is. we do what we can. It is. But um, yeah, so I got out of the Marines and um, I met my wife, whom I actually went to high school with. Um, we never had anything in high school. We were just friends, but we connected when I came home. Um, three years after that, we had our first child. We moved in together, got a home. And I was drinking Friday, Saturdays, and Sundays. It wasn't during the week. I had actually calmed down a little bit from the Marines because it wasn't so prevalent and I wasn't around a whole bunch of guys all the time. So I was going to work and Friday, Saturday and Sunday came around. I drank and and it wasn't one or two beers. It was six to 12 and I was passing out or throwing up. It wasn't a normal, let me have a drink or two to settle myself down. It was, let's get drunk. Like I I had a goal to get drunk. We drink to get drunk. And that was it. Drink to get drunk. And if you didn't drink to get drunk, I don't know why you were drinking. Right. That's, that's, that's just how I thought. Like, yeah. what's the even point of having one beer? I mean, I want to have six to eight to 10. It was like that for about eight years. I would drink on the weekends. And then we had our second child. And I don't know if I thought having a second child maybe brought on a lot of stress to me. Because then I started finding myself drinking on Thursday night and then Wednesday night. And then before I know it, I would I would go the whole week and only maybe not drink on a Monday. And my wife started to notice, hey, you know, you're having a beer almost every day after work. And sometimes it's it's multiple. And I'm a carpenter. So I was like, well, I work hard all day. I build things. I lift things. You know, I need a cold beer at the end of the day because a lot of carpenters are, believe it or not, unfortunately, are alcoholics or drug addicts. So it kind of I was like, man, this job's for me. You know, it's perfect. So, um, yeah, I started going in the note only have maybe one night where I wasn't drinking and then uh, we moved up to a farm and um, that's when my drinking really got out of control I was about 28 I couldn't keep up on the bills and a lot of things were just hitting me and I I went into a deep depression Um, I suffer from bipolar disorder so on top of that drinking magnified my my bipolar disorder by 10 times fold so my depression would be you know not getting out of bed for a week or two and not showering, not shaving and really being down on myself as far as, you know, I'm not worthy to be, have a family. I'm not a good father. I'm not a good son. I'm not a good husband. And I would beat myself up, which would then lead me to drink more and more and more. Finally, um, when we had our third child, we had, we had sold the farm. We couldn't hold on to it. And we moved back to our hometown and, uh, at that point, I was drinking every day and I was going to work. I, I had gotten another carpentry job. I was going to work and um, 
the beer started not doing the job. You know, um, so I went from drinking, you know, like Killian's or, or something like that to start drinking the IPAs, the higher percentage beers, the uh, 10%, the 11% right. beers. We build this tolerance. And I was still right? drinking. Yeah. And I was still drinking 10 to 12 of those. And if you if you uh, match that up, that's like drink, drinking double of like a Miller Lite or, exactly. or a Budweiser or something like that. It's like completely double. And I was still drinking that. But I found it still wasn't, it wasn't giving me that euphoria anymore. It wasn't giving me that feeling. So my bright alcoholic idea was, well, maybe I should start drinking some whiskey. <laughs> there you go. So um, I started getting those little fireball miniatures ah, and I yes. started off with getting about four of them a day. And um, as soon as I'd get off work, I'd stop at the liquor store and I'd, I'd pound two of them real quick and it would instantly give me that hot, warm blanket effect feeling like ah you know that just uh, that euphoria feeling yeah. and then i could crack a beer and drive home while yeah. I'm, you know this is before i even get to my house after work you're speaking my language yeah so and then i started saying you know what man i'm getting some weight drinking these beers i should just stop drinking beer and just completely just drink fireball all day long <laughs> so i went from those four miniatures to drinking a sleeve of fireball which is 10 of them wow and I would drink about four or five of those um, during the day and get off of work and realize I only had four or five left. So then I'd stop at the liquor store and get a whole nother sleeve of 10. So by the end of last year, end of January, February, right before I went into rehab, I was drinking 25 fireball miniatures a day. Wow. My mindset of why I never got a big tall bottle was because I didn't really want to know how much whiskey I was drinking. Right. You throw, you it can was get rid a, of those. I, and that's exactly it. I could get rid of it and forget about how many I drank. I only knew how many I had left. And that was that addict thinking. Like if I saw a big tall bottle there and I went through it the whole way, oh my God, I'm an alcoholic. I, it would just hit me. Right. The reality of being an alcoholic would hit me. But throwing those little miniatures away, I forget how much I drank and yeah. I could still try to maintain something. Right. Well, at the end of February of last year, um, I had gotten a new truck about two months beforehand and I left to go to the liquor store and I hit something. And I honestly, still truthfully do not know what I hit. I don't know if it was a parked car or a sign on the side of the road, but I hit something on the way back from the liquor store. And I walked in the house and I told my wife, I hit something. I'm going to bed. I don't want to deal with it. And I went to bed. Well, I woke up the next morning, I had completely forgot that I hit something. And I told her, I'm going to go get some milk and some water. And she said, how are you going to do that? I said, in my truck, in the driveway. She goes, go look at your truck. So I go outside, my side mirror's hanging off, my right fender's smashed in, my, my right tire on passenger side is all busted and the rim's hanging off. Wow. I'm like, I'm looking at it with my hands on my head. I'm like, what the hell? And she looks out the window and she goes, you don't remember anything last night, do you? And I said, no, I don't. She said, Tim, you could have killed somebody. You could have killed yourself. She said, something's got to happen. Something You have to do something about this. She goes, and I'm sorry, you can't stay here anymore. You have to go figure this out. So I call my mom. I tell her what's going on. And she said, Tim, I love you, son. She said, but I've seen this coming for a while. You need to figure this out. And I really don't want you here right now in the condition that you're in. 
So I knew that was pretty serious at that point where my mom even wouldn't let me come in and, and vent and talk to her. So I called my buddy. I told him what was going on. And he said, sure, man, come on over, bring some clothes. You can hang out here for a couple of days. Let things cool down. Sure. Let your wife get over it and then go on back. Because, you know, that's how we think. Everything's that's, just going to be okay. As we do. Because yes. we don't remember half the shit that we right. did. Our loved ones are the real victims, right? We put them through hell. We put them through so much. And the unfortunate thing is we don't remember most of what we've done to them. And here they are having to live with the scars that we've left on them. And we're just, some of us are just like, la, 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 like nothing ever happened. And they're yeah. continuously reminded of our past. So um, I go to my friend's house and his bright idea was, well, why don't we just go to the bar and have a couple of drinks since you can't go home? And, and I said, yeah. okay, cool. So I called AAA, come over. They put a new tire on my car. And I was able to drive it. So we drove it to the bar, had a couple of drinks, had a couple of shots. And as I was leaving the bar, I rear end somebody at a red light. Tim. Yeah. What? The oh second, the day after I the hit something. after. I'm drunk at this point. I get out. I look at the guy. I said, are you okay? He said, I'm okay. I said, well, your car looks okay. The front of my bumper was smashed in a little bit. The license plate was hanging off. And I said, well, you're okay. Your car's okay. I'm out of here. I smacked him on his back and I got in my truck and I took off because I knew at that point I was going to go to jail. I, I was drunk. Right. And um, I get back to his house and, and we're talking. I'm like, man, I can't stay here. I, I gotta, I gotta go. And he's like, where are you going to go? I said, I don't know. So I leave his house. I go back to the liquor store. I get 10 more of the miniature fireballs. And I go to one of those parking rides where you would park your car and get on a train yeah. to go to work. And I sit there for two days, drinking and crying and sobbing. And at this point, I had turned my phone off because I really didn't want to speak to anybody. I kind of just wanted to wallow in my own sorrow. I kind of sure. wanted to be depressed. I wanted to do what alcoholics do best and seclude themselves from the world and so drink, try to drink their worries away. So after two days, I turned my phone on at seven after 10. At nine after 10, my childhood friend, Brandon Novak, calls me two minutes after two days of not having my phone on. And he says, Lodging. I said, yeah, what's up, man? What are you doing? I said, I'm in my truck. I'm drunk. I'm hungry. I'm tired. And he said, good. That's what you need. And I was like, what? And he's like, I just talked to your mom and your wife. We bought a plane ticket for you. You're scheduled to go down to West Palm Beach, Florida, to Banyan Treatment Centers at eight o'clock this evening. Get on that plane and it will save your life. Wow. So I go home. I couldn't eat. I've been drinking for two days. My stomach was all messed up. Right. I took a shower. I packed my bags and I sat in my bed and I cried for like probably an hour, hour and a half. I just cried and thought about all the bad things I've done to my family, the lying, the cheating, the stealing, the, the, the conning, you know, all the selfishness. And I couldn't take it anymore. So I, I go down into the basement and I put a rope around my neck and I throw it around the rafter and I step up on a bucket. And uh, I guess uh, my wife realized I wasn't in the bed. And she comes down the steps 
and she sees me standing on a bucket with a rope around my neck. And she looks at me. She says, what are you doing? And I said, I can't do this anymore. I just want the pain to stop. And she says, please, Tim, please get down. Everything is going to be all right. Do you know what this will do to your children? Please get down. So I, I got down and I fell to the floor and I cried and she helped me up, and took me upstairs and I laid in the bed for about another hour and a half before my mom came to pick me up to take me to the, to the airport. And when I got to the airport, Brandon had told me, call me once you pass security because I want to make sure you're past security. You're not just going to leave the airport in a taxi. I want to make sure you're about to get on your flight. Yeah. So I get past security and I call him. I say, hey, Brandon, I'm here. I'm packed, past everything. I got 35 minutes till the plane leaves. And all he said was, I'm proud of you. I love you. And everything's going to be all right. And he hangs up the phone. I sit down in the chair. And for the first time in my life, I had this overwhelming feeling come over my entire body. And something in my head said, everything is going to be okay. I can't explain that feeling. It came from someplace else. Yeah. But at that moment, I knew I was right where I needed to be at the time in my life to save myself. And I will never forget that moment for the rest of my life. It was the most powerful, peaceful feeling I've ever felt in my entire life. Yeah. And I'm just truly grateful that that happened to me because, you know, I got to rehab and my, my liver and my kidneys were four times what they should have been. Wow. And the doctor says, how old are you? And I said, I'm 44. He said, Tim, if you continue to drink like this, you won't see 48. And that just the reality hit me of this was the time in my life that this was supposed to happen. And it took me a while to realize why did it take so long? Why did it take 27 years of drinking and drugging for me to finally get it? But now being sober and being in recovery and learning about my higher power, that's all been in his plan. Right. That's all his purpose. I could have not learned and actually received his message if it was earlier on in my career of alcohol and drugs. But now he finally thought that I was ready to receive the message and to share my experience with the world. And I'm just truly grateful that I'm here to share this with everybody. And I'm going to try to share it with as many people as possible because we need to help each other. That's part of the program. We help each other. Absolutely. Going back to what you said about your your moment in the airport, I had a similar moment and it's just that overwhelming sense of relief, right? I can yeah. stop the lying. I can, you know, every the cat's out of the bag and I don't have to keep up this fucking charade anymore. And it's just like this peace comes over you. So I can completely relate to when you were talking about that. And I think Brandon was just like the perfect friend that you needed. You know, he didn't push you again, how we were sort of talking about, you have to find your own way and make your own decision. And I think he let you do that. When he was two years sober, he actually came to my house, tried to get me to go to treatment. And as I was sitting there drinking a beer at my kitchen table, talking to him with my kids and my wife around me, and I was like, I got it, man. I'm, I'm just not ready. Right. And I remember him saying, it's only going to get worse. I said, nah, man, I got it. 
And that was four years ago. He's always checked up on me every couple months. Um, he never pushed, like you said. I lost hope. That was a big thing. I, I, I thought I was destined to die from this disease. I didn't think there was a God out there. I thought I was alone. I thought nobody could possibly know the pain and suffering that I was going through. And I, I literally did lose hope. Um, I, didn't, I didn't think I'd be okay. Man, I was so far from the truth, you know, and I'm just so grateful to have found myself again. You know, I'm 45 this year and uh, I feel the best I have felt since high school, mentally, physically, and spiritually. And it's just a blessing to, to, to be myself again, to be able to look into the mirror and actually like the person I see looking back at me. It is amazing. I want to touch a little bit on mental health. You mentioned bipolar and, yes. you know, it got to the point of that day in the basement. And, you know, we talk so much about addiction going hand in hand with mental health. What is your take on that? Or how did it play out for you? Do you treat them separately or do you treat them sort of as a combined force? I guess I'm just curious about your thoughts on the two. I think they definitely go hand in hand. Um, you know, I was diagnosed with bipolar at 14 and, um, it took me a long time. I was always like, why me? Why do I have bipolar? My yeah. friends don't have bipolar. You know, why do I have these highs, highs and these lows, lows? Why can't I just be normal? So I, I, I didn't like the fact that I had a chemical imbalance in my brain. I always thought there was something wrong with me, you know, and to be honest with you, in, in the beginning, when I first was diagnosed, I kind of utilized it because I was a golden glove boxer. So when I trained, I trained intensely, right. like more than other people. And when I and if I lost a fight, I'd be more sad than the rest of the guys. Like I took everything so literal and so serious because mm -hmm. of my emotions being so high and so low. And um, as I got into my 20s and started having kids. Um, I didn't want to take my medicines. You know, I didn't take my medicines properly when I did take them, because if I did take them, I would take them for three months, six months. But on top of that, I was drinking and drugging. So the right. medicines weren't working anyway. Right. You know, I never gave it the chance for it to do exactly what it was designed to do. Yeah. And um, I did play the woe is me, why me card. And, and I definitely utilized that to drink because I was like, well, there's something wrong with me so I can drink. You know, I'm just trying to medicate myself. I'm not taking their medicines that they're giving me because they do this and they do that. Man, I was so wrong because I was lying to myself. My addiction was telling me that I could drink and drug and that would solve everything. You know, this is the first time in my life at 45 that I've been on medicine for 10 months straight without any alcohol or any drugs in my system. And I can tell you firsthand that I feel incredible. I don't have those high highs. I don't have those low lows. I can deal with things when they come. I don't push them off till they grow into something huge and I'm overwhelmed and I can't take care of them anymore. I face things head on as they should be taken care of. I, I think clearer. I'm able to just adjust to change now where change before would, man, that would shoot me into a high or shoot me right. into a low because I didn't want to deal with it. But now I'm, I'm just accepting what's coming to me 
as it comes and I'm dealing with it when it comes instead of letting it build up and become something that was completely unnecessary. Speaking of sort of that plan, I kind of want to talk about spirituality or having a spiritual experience. And I heard a portion of your story that involves an interaction with a friend's father. And I wonder if you wouldn't mind telling us that story. That was amazing. I'm going to try to hold it together. Yeah. March 16th, 2017. I'm driving through a reservoir around here and uh, it's a beautiful drive. It's about six miles through the woods and there's a beautiful lake and people go fishing and running and hiking and walking their dogs. And I'm driving through the reservoir and I'm, I'm, I'm pounding on my steering wheel and I'm screaming. I'm looking up at, at, the, at the roof of my truck and I'm screaming, please help me. I can't do this anymore. You know, I, I just, I, I need to know that I'm not alone. And um, as I'm driving through, I get to this tree where um, my senior year of high school, my best friend was killed in a car accident and um, he had hit the tree. And right on the tree is a vigil. They have a book you can sign. You can put flowers and it's got a little plaque with his name on it. And uh, I pull over. And I get out of my truck and I go up to the tree and, and I'm kind of just like touching the tree. And I'm like, Bill, I, I really need help. I'm, I, I don't want to be an alcoholic anymore. I don't want to be a drug addict. I can't do this anymore. I just need a sign. I need to know that I'm not alone, that somebody out there is looking out for me. Please, anything. So I get back in my truck and... I'm driving out of the reservoir and instead of parking on the right-hand side, as I'm driving out, I pull over to the left-hand side on oncoming traffic and I park and I sit there and about 10 minutes go by and I'm still crying. I'm still just like, I'm so confused and flustered. And uh, I pick my head up and this car pulls up and and we're, we're face to face and I'm watching this guy and he gets out of his vehicle and he has his dog. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, man, he looks familiar. And finally it dawned on me. It was my best friend who had passed away, his father. And I get out of the vehicle and I say, Mr. Bill. And he looks at me and he said, Timmy. And I just, I fell onto the grass and he said, what's going on? I said, Mr. Bill, I'm an alcoholic. I'm a drug addict. I can't stop. I was like, I don't know what to do. And he looks at me and he says, Tim. I'm not even supposed to be here today. He said, Miss Denise, his wife, who had passed away two years old, earlier, he said, Miss Denise came to me last night in a, in a dream. And she says, hold off going to South Carolina. Go to Lock Graven and walk your dog at 10 a.m. He said, my car's packed up. I was ready to leave until I had that dream last night. He said, I'm not even supposed to be here. He said, I believe Miss Denise sent me. And I looked at him and I said, I just stopped at Bill's tree and I asked him to send me a sign that I wasn't, I wasn't alone. And we just kind of looked at each other in awe and he hugged me and he just said, Tim's everything's going to be okay. He said, there's nothing that you've done that can't be fixed. And uh, he said, I'll pray for you. And um, I think we talked for about another five minutes and then he got into his car and he left. He never even walked his dog. Wow. And I didn't take it to heart. I drank for another four years. And um, 
it always stuck with me that day. And I, I had always told my wife about it and it always really meant something to me, but that still wasn't enough for me to, to, to get me to stop drinking. You know, that wasn't, that wasn't my bottom, unfortunately. But I think it it clearly has had an impact on you. And I think we have these little sort of breadcrumbs along the way that lead us up into the moment that we become willing. And, you know, I, I don't think it diminishes from the how powerful of, of a story that is. Absolutely. So what's the future look like for Tim? This year looks extremely awesome. I'm sober. That's number one. Amen. So I, I know my I know this year is going to be incredible. As long as I take it one day at a time and keep moving forward. Um, my Instagram page has completely blown up over the last four months. Blown up. I mean, I had 352 followers four or five months ago. Now I have 58,000. It's crazy. It's insane. And yeah. the podcast that I've done, the amount of people that have contacted me to be on more podcasts, um, I've been asked to speak at meetings around here in Maryland. I've been going to different meetings and speaking and sharing my story. I truly believe I have a calling now to share my story and to help those dealing with mental addiction, mental illness and addiction. And I want to try to reach as many people as possible that I can that are still suffering. People that believe that they're alone and they have lost hope. I want to let them know that they're not alone. There is help out there. And we all can recover. Um, as of right now, I'm actually training for my first bodybuilding show in June. Amazing. Um, I've always wanted to do it my entire life. My mom was a professional bodybuilder growing up. My uncle was a professional bodybuilder, my cousin. And I've always worked out. And I've always been an athlete and in shape. But alcohol has always been in the way. Right. I never was able to focus enough and be determined enough to finally do it. And now I am, and I'm going to do it in June, this June coming up. And um, I go to the gym six days a week. I eat very clean. I take my diet very seriously. I pray every day. I go to three meetings a week. Um, when I first came home from rehab, I did seven meetings a week. I did 98 meetings in 90. And then I started to go back to the gym. Mm. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to do three days a week. I'm going to I'm going to find a happy balance in between the AA meetings, the gym, and my family. I didn't want to just be all about AA or all about the gym, right. all about my family. Because as balance. we know, it's, you have to find that balance. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I go to a meeting on Saturday morning, Sunday morning, and Sunday evening. And for me, that it kind of ends my week and then starts my week. So it kind of gives me that break. In between, you know, Monday through Friday, I know Saturday and Sunday, I got three meetings and that really helps. Um, I have an aspiration to, to possibly write a book. Um, I've been told by a couple people that, um, you know, that I, I've gone a lot into depth with about my story, um, yeah. some old friends and stuff. And, and they're like, Tim, just do it. What, what do you have to lose? Like what, what possibly could happen? not in a not positive way. And I'm like, right. you're absolutely right. right. You're absolutely right. So I say with the podcast, if we help one person, then it's worth it. Sometimes you just got to like, take that leap. The first podcast I was on, um, about two weeks after I was on the podcast, I get a phone call 
And it's a gentleman who I served in the Marine Corps with in 1994. I hadn't spoken to this gentleman since 1994. Wow. It is 2021. Well, now it's 22, but it was, this was a couple months ago. Yeah. And he calls me and he says, Tim. And I'm like, yeah, who's this? And he's like, hey, this is Tony from the Marine Corps. And I'm like, oh, wow, man. How are you? You know, it's been 26 yeah. years. <laughs> right. And I said, you don't sound too good. And he said, I'm not. I said, what's going on? He said, I've been addicted to pain pills for 18 years. He's like, I let my family down, my wife, my mom. He said, my job. He said, and I, and I don't want to do pills anymore. And he said, and I'm just calling to tell you that I'm four days sober. And I said, you're four days sober? I said, what happened? He said, I listened to your podcast. And I said, what do you mean? Wow. And he said, you gave me hope that I could overcome this. And he goes, and something just came over me. He goes, I don't want to do it anymore. I spoke to him to this morning. I check on him every, every other day. Yeah. He's got 34 days sober now from alcohol and pain pills. Awesome. I've reached one person that and that's awesome. That's all I ever wanted. I'm sure there's other people out there, but for me, the personal contact of somebody that I actually knew and that I had the pleasure of serving with in the Marine Corps that I, I've reached him and he lives in Ohio. If I didn't do this podcast, I wouldn't be able to reach him. Well, Tim, you touched on it a little bit, but I always like to end with, you know, for those who are listening, who are still struggling, what is uh, something that you would want them to hear or something you would, you know, like to leave them with today? Don't lose hope. That was my biggest downfall is when I gave up on myself. I didn't believe recovery was possible. I didn't believe there was something else out there besides myself. I didn't believe I had a future. I gave up. I know it's hard. And I know the voices that come into your head and, and tell you some bad things. But we've got to get up, not give up. We've got to push forward. We have to know that it's not the end of our story. We can turn that page and start a new chapter and it could end up being an exceptional story. And all of our greatnesses may be different, but we all have greatness. Very powerful. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on here. It's been, it's been awesome. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. Make sure you check out today's show notes for all of the information on today's episode and how to connect with our guest. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at the sobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast and on Instagram at the sobriety diaries pod. Check back every Wednesday for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends.